0: Hi, this is Austin Real Estate Investing. This is Jordan Moorhead, and today we have an awesome guest here for you guys. His name is Jake Harris. Jake is gonna tell us all about his experience investing in real estate, investing in Central Texas, and then he's also gonna let us on to his new book, Catching Knives. So,
1: hey, Jake, how are you doing? Fantastic, Jordan. It's, uh, It's great to get to spend a little bit of time with you this afternoon.
0: Great to have you, man. Um So tell us a little bit about yourself right now today. Uh, where are you based? Where do you invest, and what are you doing here in Austin?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, to kind of give you a 10 cent version of, of my backstory, maybe we don't have time in, in your podcast to go into detail on all of my real estate experience. Um, but you know as of today, you know my day job is running a private equity real estate company. Uh, we have offices in California and Texas uh, down in, in San Antonio. Uh, we, um, you know, really that for me, that was a, a spinoff, a company I helped uh, found in 2015. Um, so it's been six years, uh, you know, doing that. Prior to that, I worked um, with a kind of high net worth family office, uh, putting together some, you know, distressed um, opportunistic funds, um, buying a lot of uh you know, distressed things. And that's a lot of what the book is about too, is, is some of that, you know, emerging into the distressed investing. Um, so currently, you know, um, you know, we look at markets, um, secondary and tertiary markets. We do a lot of demographic studies. Um, we identify markets in which we think have some high growth potential, um, possibilities there. The, the future is going to be better. um, and then sometimes that's priced into the market, sometimes it's not, and then we're kind of looking for good deals. So we do some office buildings, uh, hotels, adaptive reuse, converting warehouses or other buildings to other you know uses. Um, we have an, an office conversion to multifamily down on the Riverwalk in San Antonio. We do some new development as well. So ground up projects, uh, we have one in East Austin that um, should be pouring foundations maybe tomorrow maybe next week but uh, that's pretty exciting to finally get that through uh the development process in Austin is a pain um but that also uh you know it's like the price has gone up significantly on construction but also you know it's been greater increase in pricing um uh for the asset price overall so um it's it's working out um you know given that that delay so uh, that's what i do uh we have uh, about about 20 people that work for me, um, between that a couple hundred million in assets under management. Um, I am a licensed broker in California. Um, and then, you know, have, have some other investments, all real estate related. Awesome.
0: Um, it's really cool. So I think we're going to, we're going to dive a little bit more into the Austin and San Antonio stuff here in a minute. um, what got you interested in real estate investing? So I know you've got a a story of of where you came from, you know, what you're doing now, but how did you get started? And then where did that lead you?
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I went into the, the little bit of that, uh, into the book, um, you know, it's, it, for me, I think it was the the crystallizing moment of that was I was in the army, I was getting ready to get out and somebody gave me the book, rich dad, poor dad, Mm -hmm. uh, this is, i know that's a, a lot of people's stories but it was it was that kind of thing it was like you know the metaphorical light bulb went off and it was just like yep this is what i want to do now if i want to take that and, and now pull that a little bit even further back is um we grew up or you know uh, uh, some of my most memorable moments of growing up were us living in a 16-foot camp trailer and fixing up an 1888 farmhouse that sat in the Central Valley of California it used to be the head farmhouse for a thousand acre orchard um you know it's rich agricultural kind of area in Central Valley and so we bought this old farmhouse and it, i mean like it it's didn't even have a foundation it sat on rocks and we spent as our family Fixed up that house, and it was a couple year project. And you know, and so we my dad was a police officer, and so he'd work his day job. And then on the you know, evenings and weekends, we'd work on this house. And so, at you know, formidable years of a kid, you know, there's uh, photos of me carrying around sheets of plywood, you know, and I could use all the bent nails. And um, so, that was really, I think my interest in starting into real estate. If I look at it back now with that, that pure hindsight of, um, and then rich dad, poor dad being a crystallizing moment of me then saying, yes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do real estate from this point forward. I took a little bit different path in which that to get into real estate, Um, you know, again, illustrate that kind of being in construction um is is the avenue in which i took to get into real estate investing
0: and uh you know real quick about that and i know absolutely if people want to hear this whole story they can read your book i absolutely recommend picking up jake's book i'm about halfway through right now and i'm really enjoying it um so you got started with construction there talk a little bit about that and then what you did after that so i talked to so many people that don't want to take a step back and they don't want to get started at the bottom. And it sounds like that's really what you did and talk about where you went and what you learned from that.
1: Yeah. So it was, you know, looking at the, the big, big picture, the macro view of this and me saying that, Hey, I do want to do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always kind of, knew i was going you know i mean it, it, it sounds cliche or or trashy to say you know i always knew i was going to be wealthy mm-hmm. i just you know it wasn't like i was in a super hurry to get there and it was more focusing on building that kind of net worth and accumulating the skill sets to have the longevity of that as opposed to i want to be a millionaire tomorrow and i you know and, and i i got some of that so i had a goal of being a millionaire before 30. And I was super myopically focused on that. But, you know, again, that started at 23 and it took me, you know, five years to get to that place. Um, For some people, that's a long time. For other people, that's a short time. But that was what I kind of my mission. And so why I came into construction and, you know, there's some components about that. And the story is um, I went and I told the construction company I'd work for free um, is because Know uh, the developer I was talking to that, you know, was saying, hey, you should get into the trades. The reason that you should get into the trades is that a contractor is involved in everything real estate. He's like, I don't care if you're moving dirt, you're remodeling a kitchen, you're building a building, you know, you're doing a high rise, a contractor and multiple contractors involved in that. And contractors want to take as much time and make as much profit as they can possibly make. Um it's, 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 it's an interesting uh dynamic. And a lot of people that have, you know, done you know, a lot of repetition with contractors is one of the only trades in which the more work you give someone, the higher the price and the lower the quality gets. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's crazy. You're just like, at first, they got a pretty good price and they do a pretty good job. And so you're like, wow, this is awesome. Hey, can you do this other job? And then you give them another job. And then all of a sudden the price starts creeping up and then the quality gets worse and worse and worse. And then after a while, and you gotta, sometimes you gotta fire them. Sometimes you gotta bring in a new contractor, something of that. And you can learn that through experience of doing those deals. But the advice that was given to me when I was 23 and ready to go you know, grab the tiger by its tail was um, learn construction because that's going to permeate and ripple throughout your entire career of real estate investing. And it doesn't really matter what they pay you because it's going to make you millions and millions of dollars in experience that you gain from learning that construction process. And so for people that are like, hey, uh, I mean, given, my circumstance at 23 was much different. Me now, you know, I'm married and have, you know, uh, kids and it's just like, that may be hard for me to go work for free, you know, um, you know, in other people's situations, they may not be able to do that. So I'm not saying that just because that worked for me that everyone has to go do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But oftentimes, if you're looking at that big macro view of, forever. And I plan on doing real estate, you know, uh, another 100 years. Um, and so if I plan on doing it for another 100 years, then you know, what can I do to continue to evolve and grow and get a little bit better, a little bit better, and a little bit better. And that is um, ultimately what led me to going down the construction path first. Um, And not to say that that is exclusive to being successful in real estate. Again, you can learn it in lots of different ways. I know lots of people that have entered into the the market. Um, You know, I was just having a call earlier. I know somebody, was a doctor. He just, you know, was made good money and was able to invest by making, being a high income earner and got into real estate and then learned that over time. And so it is those types of things is, use the cards that are kind of dealt to you, and then see how you can fit into the overarching. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book is assembling kind of that team. You don't have to do everything. Like there are certain components of of real estate. and, And really, it is a team sport. And just figure out where you are. Sometimes that's a cheerleader, Sometimes that's you're the quarterback. Sometimes that is, you know, you're, you're, you know, the general manager, you know, playing in the band. It, it just, there's so many different things involved in that. And you cannot uh, be all things in a project. Even myself, I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, I, have a, uh, I went to grad school, I have a master's degree in international real estate and finance. I have a broker's license and, you know, doing these in hundreds of millions of dollars of deals and I'm still learning and I can't do everything. Um, so someone starting out to think that they're gonna be able to do all of it. I think that's a little bit foolish, uh, but that's why you should assemble a team to increase your potential for success.
0: I like how you started in construction too, because you learned the basics and, and really what you're talking about, you know, dealing with contractors can be where you can lose the most money and lose the most time. And like you said, the bids keep going up and things get more expensive and they get slower and they get less responsive. And if you really know why that's happening and how to deal with those people, you have a huge advantage. Um, I actually got, I didn't get started in real estate the same way, but I did a lot of restoration work in college. And that's nasty. But by being able to do all that nasty stuff and tear out all that mold and poop and, and whatever else, I know what's actually a big deal when i'm looking at a property and i know what's easily able to be fixed so you know you went in you started from the bottom and you worked for free and like you said not everybody can work for free and that's okay but maybe you could go work for free on the side sometimes or maybe you could get into a different industry where you have some exposure to some of these aspects but i really i really like what you did there um i want to talk a little bit about where that took you and really a lot of the book story of, you know, what happened to you and, you know, where, obviously where you are now.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I was, uh you know, young and on a rocket ship of, of uh, the early two thousands <laughs> and writing that subprime wave up. I, I thought I was, you know, way smarter than I, I actually was. Uh, you know, I actually I, I hung out and met with Robert Kiyosaki. You know, back in the 2000s, and you know, went to his studio in Scottsdale because I was investing in Phoenix, and I was living in Phoenix, and sat down and and you know, he's just like, "Don't buy negative cash flow properties. Don't buy these things. It's it's stupid to do that." And I remember vividly sitting there in his studio and thinking like, "That ah, man, this is." Quackery, Like, dude, I'm making so much money just speculating. I buy it up and I tie it and I make 20 grand and 50 grand and 75 grand 100 grand. Like, it doesn't really matter if it's cash flowing or not. And then it really did matter if it was cash flowing or or not and the market collapsed. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I lost everything and not only lost everything, I got to a place where, you know, I remember I was down in Tucson sitting on the the street corner outside of a house that I was working, doing construction work um, and crying. I was crying. I remember sitting there saying a, a prayer that I wanted to be worth no money can I be worth no money and just start over at zero? Like, you know, so a millionaire before 30 and then, you know, at 30, be like, can I be at zero? That would be super, super awesome. So that naivety of not uh, expanding your goals to so one, I had that goal um, I use and illustrate that in the book is like goals are great for Winning once, but you have to put together a system that allows you to repeatedly win. And I sat and rested on my laurels. And, and uh, um, you know, obviously where I am today is, you know, I, I cried in my Wheaties and, uh, you know, picked myself up and said, All right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do real estate forever. This is what I was meant to do. And so that's like I said, I went back to school. You know, went back uh, and learned kind of a new language, dove back in, started scaling our our operations. So I've done I don't know twelve hundred flips in twenty three states, um, aggregated some single family rental portfolios that we sold off to Invitation Homes and Colony and and Tricon and some of these institutional buyers, and which was interesting because you mentioned it, and it was kind of the, the Jake 2.0 version of, of myself, kind of getting educated and going to those next levels, is I was micro correct on things like saving five cents a linear foot on baseboard. And I was really good at the details of that. But what happened was, you know, Invitation Homes came into the market and was just buying up, gobs of real estate, every house. And so it was like, basically pricing out. And what people are experiencing kind of right now in Austin, like no houses are available, everything's being bought up. And in instance, like, you know, if, if you're trying to do real estate right now and find a good deal, it's really, really hard to do because the market's on fire. So Invitation Homes came in, bought up in the Central Valley in Sacramento and bought every house on the house, literally put an offer and said, we're buying every house on MLS and coming to trustee sale and buying every house into foreclosure because they had billions of dollars. They were making a macro bet on the market overall, and it didn't make sense to me. So part of it was, you know, I'll just use an an arbitrary number here and say, The house's market value was three hundred thousand dollars at the time. So, you know, most people looking and understand that need to flip a house or they want to buy it. You got to buy it for something under three hundred thousand dollars to still make a profit. So, you've got to buy it for two twenty-five or maybe two fifty or some number. But typically, I would say somewhere in that two twenty-five range. So you could fix it up, you would have your sales commission, you know, your carry cost, everything else, and then you're going to sell it for $300,000. But was happening is at auction, at trustee sale, they were buying houses for $325,000, $330,000. Like I was just like, and I was like, it still needs to be fixed up it still needs to get, you know, kick out the tenants or do some of those other things. And they're paying above market value. And it was just like, my head couldn't even like process this. And I was like, so Jonathan Gray, who runs Blackstone's, you know, real estate group. And i and like, smartest real estate dude, or one of the smartest real estate people that I've ever come across. And I was like, if this puppet master genius mm-hmm. is doing this, there's some reason for it. And so it took me some time to kind of go through that. And there's another even layer to that is I became a vendor for Blackstone. My construction company did. Um, Part of that was because there's no houses available. And I was like, how am I going to keep people busy and pay bills uh, when that market kind of vacuum? So what happens is that they, I sold some houses. We bought them at foreclosure. We fixed them up turnkey, we're going to list them on the market for $300,000. Again, using that same arbitrary number. And we sold it to, to invitation homes. And then I got a work order to go fix up the houses, I had just sold them like their brand new carpet, brand new paint, brand new appliances, turnkey. And then they come in and say, Hey, can you come fix up these houses? And I was like, whoa, whoa, Guys, I know I do a lot of houses and, and not I don't recognize all the, the property addresses, but for some reason these kind of stuck out. So I drove to them and I was like, Yeah, we just did finish these. What's the big deal? Like, and they're like, No, no, we want our carpet colors, we want our paint color, we want our set of appliances. Take those other stuff out. And I was just like, I don't understand what the hell is going on. They're paying half our houses more than they're worth, and then they're fixing them up even beyond that. this just doesn't make sense. Well, what I realized is that they were playing a different game. So they were playing that the market was going to correct and go up to half a million dollars. And then the market was going to shoulder off that half a million dollars. And then they were going to be able, so they didn't care what today's pricing was, because they just had a portfolio kind of investment thesis that they were underwriting that they would be all in at 75% of peak value, a previous peak value. And as long as they were doing that, and they could aggregate billions of dollars of worth of houses, they were going to be, you know, macro correct. So I was really good at saving a, you know, five cents a linear foot on baseboard. And you know, maybe I saved an extra $178, you know, on that property, they were macro correct. And they made $9 billion, you know, in that time period. So you know, again, being a contractor, nuanced details, you know, into that nitty gritty, is it better to be micro correct or macro? And that was for me, the evolution of to me going to the next level was, I need to be playing bigger, I need to understand how this is and move that kind of comma over maybe a category or, or two, uh, mm-hmm. being kind of a you know professional invel- uh, developer investor. And that's kind of A little bit. I'm not Blackstone. I mean, don't don't get confused anywhere near there. But now we've kind of been moving up to to some next levels.
0: Nice. Yeah. No, I I read that portion of the book, and you know, I was reading an article today and saw that Blackstone bought a whole subdivision in Houston that had just been built or was to be built. They just bought the whole thing. Um, So he's just a lot different than somebody like me is going to be doing. You know, they're they're buying, and they bought them all at market value. So I see that and think, they're crazy. Why would they do that? But they're probably looking at it a little differently than I would.
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, you and me, you know, on on some property, we may be looking at, you know, three months or six months or a year. They might be looking at this in 10 years. Mm -hmm. We think 10 years. We think the inflation of the government printing $20 trillion plus is going to have some inflationary pressure and we believe in Texas and central Texas. And so um, maybe that could be their, their thesis in which they're investing into. And it's uh, I I wouldn't, if you, if you looked at it that way, I was like, I don't think they're wrong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So obviously you're in California I guess, tell us more about why you're here in central Texas. I know you have an office in San Antonio and you guys are real active there. You're also active here in Austin, actually very close to where I live. I'm in East Austin here. Um, Why did you come to central Texas?
1: Yeah, so that was, you know, 2014, I started, you know, I was like, hey, I think we're gonna expand this, go a little bit more nationwide. Um, And so I I started spending, I, I think I, I don't really go into this in the book, but I, I dig into demographics. And so um, demographics from a job growth, population growth, affordability index. And then, you know, I, I kind of just lumped it in as demographics of like what people are working on, the, the mix of that, um, the numbers and the quality of the data in which I'm reviewing. And so uh, when I looked at that 2014, you know, 2015, Texas, uh all four major metros had f- were four of the top 10 markets in which I kind of you know put together this criteria um which was interesting because without that kind of fourth category of the quality of jobs or what they are in the mix of it um you know North Dakota was off the charts for me when I did this in 2014 or 2015, you know but it was all driven, off of the fracking and in, in mm-hmm. oil and gas. And so I mean job growth, population growth, affordability. But when I looked at like what was that what was driving it, well it's all fracking and so it's boom and bust. And so I I, you know, just kind of like said, hey, I'm not going to do any of those markets. And so that eliminated some. And then as I kind of curated my list and so Texas had 10 of those markets, I started investing into Texas uh, in 2015. Um Austin was the first place we bought. I wish I would have bought a lot more in 2015. (laughs) I mean, uh, uh, I I, now if I had a time machine to go back, I would have just bought everything in Austin and East Austin and, you know, the 78702, you know, area code. So I've done a little bit in 21 and 02. And I, you know, I was kind of already priced out of the 04 market, I kind of saw that, you know, take off. And um, so when I when I dive into those um, things, it was first, demographics. It was first data that was determining and then it's like something is happening here in this market. And then what I do is I go get and put boots on the ground. and you run around Austin. Um, you guys know this. Um, for the people that listen to this and that are you know from Austin, you know, you get to see this on, on an every day. And I keep trying to not do deals in Austin because I'm like it's just overpriced it's you know I can't find a good deal. it's ah, I just need to abandon this market altogether. And then what happens is for me driving up from San Antonio, you come up uh, on the freeway and then you see the skyline kind of emerge and the, you know the the ladybird Lake there and you start going and you walk around downtown and you go to the restaurants and the the energy, that is in Austin right now is just palpable. And it's just, you're like, dude, this city's rad. Like I got to do stuff here. I need to do things here. And so that keeps drawing it back in and obviously why the employment and why people are moving there in droves is, is because of that. Mm-hmm. Now investing in central Texas, you know, we've done stuff in, in in DFW and Houston and been in and out of those markets, but San Antonio, in my opinion is, the most underappreciated best buy in all of the country because of the ability that you can still go buy good deals and there's Ooh. not institutional capital there you know I, I i submitted an offer we're building an apartment over in east austin off of uh, weberville road and right next oh, to cool. ac campus and um you know there was another like acre parcel that you know went up for for bid in you're going back out to Market. And, you know, I paid a million bucks or a little under a million dollars for the dirt for an acre, you -hmm. know, back five years ago. Um, So I was like, oh, well, I'm interested. This one's about an acre. And I started like diving in man, I submitted an offer and I was like 23rd place. And they're just like, you missed the market by a mile. And I mean, now it's like three million, three and a half, four million a half, $4 million just for the dirt. Mm-hmm. I was like, you still got to build something and you still got to get approval processes. And and so when I looked at that was um the market so on fire, there's 20, 30, 40, 50 bids on every single development deal or multifamily or, or things going on in Austin. So it's still still difficult to find a deal. Whereas in San Antonio, it's much more limited in your competition. And as far as I'm still able to kind of put together some deals that make sense for my underwriting. And so what I think is going to happen is as people get priced out of Austin, you go sell something at a three cap, you're not going to reinvest into Austin at a three cap you go drive down an hour down the road and invest into San Antonio. And what I think you're going to have is a good going in rate and the the cap rates compressing and then you have a good, nice exit as well.
0: Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so everybody has a different model of what they're doing. And it sounds like you guys are in a lot of different spaces. So you're d- developing, you're, you're reusing things. Um, are you doing any sort of value add apartment deals? Or are you just development and reusing? I have,
1: you know, I kind of maybe missed that boat. Um, mm-hmm. Wish I would have got into that a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, but now it's hard to, to make the deals. I'm relatively conservative on my underwriting. And mm-hmm. to me, a lot of people that are, they're, you know, doing these are like, I, I'm, I'm not sure how they're underwriting this to make it work. I'm not smart enough to figure that out or, or you know, uh, the risk adjusted. And maybe that's just my, you know, previous shell shock from losing everything back in, uh, you know, uh, 07, 08, kind of the collapse of that subprime. Um, I've just found for me what I do pretty well is those heavy value adds. It's not the paint carpet cleanups, but it's when we can go in and, you know, uh, reconfigure units, um, add more units, uh, do just kind of like heavier, heavier lifts. And it's also eliminates some of the competition for us. Um, you know, You know, maybe in time we can develop and get a little bit better of a team to do that. But for right now, what I have is you know, I'm really good at the heavy value add, you know, the development, because I, I can know I can, you know, translate that to yield into a number, uh, I can build it for this. And then it's worth this, where some of the multifamily, you know, kind of light value add paint carpet cleanup, you know, putting the lipstick on it. Um, I, I'm just I'm not competitive. I, I keep trying to do it. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm not smart enough to figure that out yet. Um, Maybe the team and part of that is you hit on one of those points. We do a lot of different things. It's not me doing all of those things. Like I don't do all of those things. We have diversified some of our investments. And part of that has to do with the investors that invest with us. Um, A lot of people's mandate to us is don't lose my money. Sure. So you will be like, well, if it's don't lose my money, we're going to be a little bit more conservative in the underwriting of a deal. And we're not trying to hit home runs, we're not trying to crush it out of the park. And so um, a lot of the investors that I have are, are high net worth doctors, you know, engineers, things like that, where they're high income earners, they don't have the time to be able to do this on their own. And which is let's, us you know, say a perfect example of this is, you know, they're making seven figures as a doctor, you know, it'd be like, okay, you're making seven figures as a doctor. You've trained for, I don't know how long they trained. seems like forever, 20 years, you know, they trained for a really long time to be able to earn a million dollars a year. But if you were to, they were to get in and start investing, even if they had a million dollars to invest with, we could say that a 10% return would be a fair assessment of a deal. So I go, great, you're gonna have a million dollars, you're gonna go invest into that, and you're gonna make 10%. So that's $100,000. Should you be spending more time on making that $100,000 return off your million dollars? Or should you spend more time making a million dollars a year working your day job? And so that's where a lot of... Clients that for for us are exactly that is like, dude. If you can make a million dollars or half a million dollars, go do that. Like, do more of that, and then allow some of that capital to start working for you. Yeah, we charge fees. Yes, we manage that and do those things. But instead of maybe a hundred thousand, it's eighty thousand. But what happens is as that starts rolling and growing upon itself, and you look up three years or five years or you know some time period in in the future, now all of a sudden there's a half a million dollars or a million dollars passive income that has been created. And it gives you the opportunity to decide if you still want to do doctor work or yeah. engineering work or whatever you want to do because you, your passive income is now replaced or you know equal to in your quality of life. So if you went from making a million dollars a year and then you told your, your, your spouse that, Hey, uh, and your kids, we're going to go from a million to a hundred thousand, while some people having a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's a, a pretty good gig. But if you're accustomed to doing a million, that's a pretty significant step down, and and that's why it just doesn't work necessarily for a lot of investors. Now, I I peel that back is to say like, why do what we do is because you know this is what I do. I'm like you, Jordan, in real estate deals all day every day. Like all I do, it's like I eat, sleep, breathe real estate. I'm looking at deals. People are texting me. They're emailing me. My team. 20 some odd people looking at deals, you know, uh, doctors or investors or other things like that are not necessarily uh, doing that uh, all day, every day. And because, let's be honest, that's not what they do. That's not their day job. So, just as a specialist, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor doesn't go treat their foot injury, you know, like their foot, they go to a podiatrist, they go to a specialist. And so, they someone that's an a, 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 looking to do an investment again that's not for everyone that's you know if you're making a million dollars you're doing some of those other things i i advise you you should, you should focus on that now if you're looking to start out in real estate that's a different story you know and in your your comparable real estate agents that are looking to to side angle um you know th- again it's everybody is kind of to each their own and, and you know what their journey is is ultimately going to be they're the ones that are going to be able to decide that
0: yeah, absolutely. I love that. I want to talk about a few things you hit on there. So um, people are talking about investing in Austin and, and you talked about, hey, we kept looking at value add multifamily and we realized the heavy value add in the development is where where we are best. And maybe that comes from your construction background. Um, I don't know exactly, but I think people come into a city like Austin and say, hey, I want to buy single family houses And I I want to do a real light value add to them and I want to make them cash flow. Or I want to buy an apartment complex and I want to do some light value add to it and I want to make it cash flow. Might not be the best place to do that. Um, But, you know, places like Austin are great for development where the city's growing like crazy and anywhere you could find dirt and make sense of the numbers and pop something up, you've done really well. And I like that you've recognized that. And you said, hey, we're really good at these things. We're really going to focus on these things. I know it's easy in real estate to get the shiny object syndrome. Everything else looks really cool. And you want to go do everything. Um, but it sounds like really well you guys have done that. Um, also, you talked about you know the best use of your time. So if you are a doctor or if you make several hundred grand or a million dollars a year, best use of your time probably is not out there buying rentals. It's probably continuing to be a doctor and make that million dollars a year and then give money to somebody like you who's gonna give them a return on their money and it will actually be passive. So lots of the time that passive income word is thrown around for active real estate investing. Um, you and I both know being an active real estate investor is not passive. No matter what, even if you bought a house or you bought a 50-unit apartment building or a 100-unit apartment building, um, it gets more passive as you get up there. You know, the bigger you get, the better management you can get. It's absolutely more passive. But that guy you're given 50 grand to that's going to go put together a 200-unit deal, he's working. He's not sitting around all day doing nothing. Um, and just my main point is there is figure out what your best use of time is, figure out what your goals are. And then figure out what you need to do there. Maybe it is being an active real estate investor. Then you can figure out what type of project you're best suited to take on and make the most money on in your current market geographically and also you know in the time horizon we're in. But you know, maybe your your best, best bet is to go meet a couple people like Jake and find somebody to invest with. Maybe it's not going and finding houses. You never know. Um, really like that stuff. So You know, Jake, obviously you're doing stuff here in Austin, you're doing stuff in San Antonio, you're doing stuff in other markets in the country. Um, You're in California there. Could you tell us about a a bad deal you've had, maybe a smaller deal and and what to avoid in those areas? So maybe even a single family house and and what went wrong and maybe help our listeners learn something and figure out what to avoid.
1: Yeah, and so, um, you know, obviously doing however many of that is 1200 ish, you know, flips, mm-hmm. uh, there have been things that have not gone right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been scammed. We've had, you know, people, uh, contractors run off with money, you know, as far as uh, lessons learned, as far as from that, you know, what, what, uh, you know, and what I'll uh, you know, illustrate is to give you a point is um, if you don't know construction, say you're investing out of market, um, or you know, you're, you know, let's just say you're got a little bit of money and you're throwing it at and hiring a contractor, you know, they're gonna ask for a deposit. And it, it seems to be you know easier just to hire a general contractor to manage and do the entire job. Uh, but uh what I've found is um contractors are real tough, you know, to to judge as far as sometimes they, they have good reviews, they have some of the things out there, and then they just, you know, are duds, um, or criminal. Um, And uh, so what happens is you get a general contractor says, hey, I can do the entire job myself, I'll manage it. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm just going to be able to hand this thing, it's going to cost me $40,000 to fix up this house and it's great. And he wants a deposit. And so I'm going to go give him, you know, 20 grand to go buy materials and do those other things. And, you know, he goes, maybe he does a few little things, but then he realizes, hey, guess what? If I just keep this 20 grand, you know, that's more profit than I was going to do actually making the job, doing the whole entire job. So, uh, and then they ghost you they disappear and now you're trying to find you know uh whoever uh you know remote and now you try to get in and try to find them and track them down and you know they've just run off with 20 grand of your your money um so what and, and some advice i give is you know obviously and that's i you know me and my team we, we know that we do this I, and we do construction and we still it still happens from time to time Um, so what it is, is what I've used is, you know, have a local point person that can be a real estate agent that can be, you know, the, you know, the, the listing agent, if you're going to sell it, maybe the property manager, that's going to rent it out, have someone be kind of a local point of contact that can be consistently checking up. Maybe it's a project manager. Um, and then it's harder, but it gives you more protection to hire out the subs individually. So what happens is when you have overlapping kind of subs, the paint guy that's doing work, the you know flooring guy that's doing work, the landscaper, what happens is there's enough overlap that they kind of are checking up on each other and, and you're also their smaller kind of ticket items. You know, like a, a painter, like you give them cost of paint, you know, is that a 500 bucks? Mostly it's labor. So it, it, what happens is instead of giving big deposit amounts up front, um, you know, break those down into smaller individual trades, hiring uh, multiple of those trades while it's more management, it, it tends to protect you. Um, and then having one kind of person. And then what I also do is that one person or even I've done it, is just hiring someone to take photos, really good, you know, listing quality photos throughout the entire job and say, hey, I'm going to have you come in and do it 10 times during the, the remodel project. You know, can you give me a favorable price to do it ten times? And they're like, "Yeah, I'll do that." You know, five hundred bucks. Well, you go through, and they take with high quality cameras. Well, what happens is, you know, you're you're only going to pay off of the reports. So take me a send me a picture of the job being complete. Well, the granite guy takes a picture, or the carpet guy, or whoever takes the picture, and from the angle that they take the picture, it looks pretty good from what you can see. And I don't know what it is about contractors too. I think they all have flip phones or something like the quality <laughs> of their pictures that come over is like, so crap. And I was like, I'm going to buy people iPhones from now on, but that's why we ultimately hired somebody with like DSLR and digital cameras. Cause then you could see everything. And then you could see that from that angle, the granite countertop looks pretty good. But when the actual person that doesn't know what they're supposed to be looking for takes that photo. And then you see like, dude, you know, this is crap. You know, this is, you know, the baseboard looked like a beaver, you know, uh, <laughs> like, I was like, how, what are you doing? The carpet that's not, not seamed incorrectly. I mean, there's just so many things that you can pick up over time. And so those are some of the, the, the common mistakes that I see that we've still even made is, um, put some systems in place. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book too, was, you know, system, system, system. If you can put these things together, what happens is real estate's kind of the 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 dumb man's way of getting wealthy. Like it's actually not that complicated. Um, it's, you know, do some of these things, these steps, and, and you're going to achieve certain levels of success, you know, in that. And, you know, you're the, the real estate going to grow in value. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's why I say system, system, systems are, are super important. And then, you know, and, and to, to dive in a little bit about, you know, the book and a little bit where it's resonating is people that have maybe started out flipping some houses or going from now they've kind of figured it out. Cool. You know how to make 20 grand or 50 grand at a time in a property. But what happens is they come to me and they're like, I'm going to need to do a hundred houses to get to the level that I want. You know, they're just like, and it's so hard to get scale when you're going from one or two or three to 10 or 20 or 50. And so then, and obviously the books about commercial real estate and kind of doing that is And you talked about it earlier, how do you kind of, to be a newbie and to go back, so many people are afraid to take a step back. And so this book is resonating with people that have kind of figured out some of that early investing from a residential, and now are looking like, hey, I'd rather instead of doing 50 houses, do one commercial deal. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to be able to make half a million dollars or a million dollars doing one commercial deal. And so what happens is this is and gives some people some starting points and some understanding of how to get into deals that are a little bit bigger, that $3 million, $5 million, $10 million deal, when they figured out that they have uh, some success, maybe on on the entry of real estate investing from a single family house, it doesn't go into a lot of detail about that or how to get started first of all, but it does kind of give a little bit more detail into getting into commercial deals.
0: Awesome. And I really like what you said there about having just checks and balances and some backstops. You know, if you're, if you're even hiring a contractor and you're 30 minutes away, you want to have some ways to figure out, is this person doing the right job? Or are they doing the work? You know, are they doing it right? How's the quality? Um, I really like when I'm first hiring a contractor or some sort of service person, just buying the materials. And then having somebody else go by and check and make sure they're doing the jobs right. There's all sorts of ways. And I know you've got a lot of systems in the book you talk about to help people manage these properties. And I know if you're a newer investor, it's scary to talk about. And that's one of the biggest things I hear is I, I don't want to deal with contractors or I don't know how to deal with contractors, but. You know, like like you're talking about here, just just have some checks and balances and some backstops to make sure that when you're dealing with the contractor, if something goes wrong, you don't lose too much.
1: Well, and that's the same thing. Contractors are just as nervous of investors. Yeah, and are they going to hold up my money? Like you know, not like they're you know living like King Farouk. Like oftentimes they're living you know job to job, and mm-hmm. and so they're super concerned too that you're not going to pay them. You yeah. know, they're super concerned that they're going to be over a barrel. It's going to take, you know, and most contractors use the, uh, the MUS estimating process. Uh, the MUS is made up shit. Um, <laughs> they just go like, ah, last time I charged 15 grand. This time I'll charge 17 grand. You're like, they just, they randomly, like, they don't get to the details of breaking down a bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, that's where, and like sometimes, which is interesting, you know, now, you know, been doing this a while is I'll dig in is I was an estimator starting out. I actually broke things down into granular details uh, to find out what pricing was. And so oftentimes like that's the way I just think on deals. And so, and i look at this and then somebody comes back and gives me some number, a hundred thousand dollars for this and on this deal. And I'm just like, what? I was like, this makes no sense to me. And I called the guy up and I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I'm looking at it. Your material cost you 20 grand. You, you're you're going to have a crew of three guys or four guys. It's going to take you three weeks. You're going to have 10% profit, some overhead, some other you know, things like all in. I'm thinking you're going to be 45, 50 grand. How in the hell is your number $100,000? And some of them be like, I don't know. Other guys, <laughs> I've had one that was actually honest with me. Was like, because I can get it right now, and I'm busy, and I was just like, makes sense. Yeah. You know, I like it shouldn't cost a hundred thousand, but it does right now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can find somebody that'll do it for fifty thousand, and sometimes you can't. And right now, where the market's on fire. It might be a hundred thousand dollars because that's just what the market and this they can get, and so they're making uh hey, you know, while they can, and they're just like, woohoo, I made 50 grand profit on that deal. Um, if they know why and how they bid it out, but oftentimes, like I said, MUS, they don't actually know if they're making money or not.
0: Yeah, and they're not always the best money managers either, i found. I remember the first time a contractor came into a unit I was remodeling, it took about 30 minutes. He measured everything. He was writing everything down and really making sure he was correct with all of his estimations. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, what is this guy doing? And I realized he was actually estimating the job the right way. He measured everything. He put all the materials together. He put all the labor together figured out exactly what it was going to cost him to do this job rather than, yeah, I just charged this last guy 15. I'm going to charge this guy 17, see if he'll pay it. Um, I find a lot of the times when you ask, well, how much is the materials and how much of the labor? They can't answer that very well.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good clue. Good way to, to weed out some contractors.
0: Yeah. Ask for a material labor breakdown. And offer to buy the material. If you're doing smaller jobs, obviously, it matters with the job size. If you're doing a smaller job, say, hey, I'll buy the materials. Um, Just let me know what you need. And then I'll have it delivered to the property. So what's your best advice for people looking to get started investing in, let's say, an Austin market? So I know we talked about systems. I know we talked about figuring out what you're good at and what's the best use of your time. Maybe it's figuring out, do, do you need to be active or do you need to be passive? But what's your best advice for somebody that wants to be an active investor and wants to get started investing here in the Austin area?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough right now. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it really, really is tough. I mean, you know, houses and properties are getting, like I said, 20, 30, 40, 50 offers on them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's tough. I mean, and especially if you're trying to start out, it, it would be a very challenging time to be entering into the market. Um, what, you know, it depends on your, you know, your risk profile, obviously, but, um, the trustee sales have been on hold for a very long time you know they've been very limited there's still a moratorium on on uh, government backed mortgages but uh that is getting ready to open up a little bit more um as far as so Bexar county just had their first um auction in like 9 months and so they oh, wow. had you know 80 properties go to foreclosure and go to auction there um, I, I, did I haven't dug in cause I was just on Tuesday as far as the, what the net, you know, result, but you can get a little bit of a discount by going into trustee sales and buying it at, at foreclosure. There is a whole system to that. And, you know, it is not just the same. Um, you're going to have to have cash for auction. You're going to have to, you know, do title searches on your own. Oftentimes these are occupied houses, um, there's a, you know, uh, eviction moratorium. So I mean, that's, you know, there's certain risk to that as well. So um, if I was, you know, starting out, um, you know, maybe that would be it's often that's not the very entry level position are the people that get in and go do a foreclosure is your first investment deal.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it's also, you know, if you're trying to buy something on MLS or, or on the, the listing, you know, it's, it's kind of too late to get a good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, start going to networking events, uh, connecting with other investors that are out looking to that, connect with wholesalers. Wholesalers are out and they have systems together of mailing and doing things and they want to move quickly. There's a little bit of opportunity to sometimes get a discount uh, to that. Don't necessarily believe the numbers that a wholesaler sends you. Uh, You know, the comps that they're going to use and the rehab cost, you know, um, you know, the the valuations don't always line up. You think you're going to go make 20 grand and you lose 20 grand. It just doesn't work out. But Building relationships, getting you know connected with other investors that are looking at doing that. There are still deals. I mean, even though the market is ultra ultra competitive and it's on fire, there's always deals. Um, it's just a little bit harder to find them. And now you have to look in a few different ways. Uh, so if you're not necessarily setting up doing mailers and bandit signs and doing those, connect with the wholesalers, connect with the wholesalers, and then connect with some of the investors, get to know them, go to networking events, talk to real estate agents. Um, if you have a little bit more capabilities and you have cash, maybe look at trustee sales um, as an option. Uh, you can go to, you know, FLS online to get the foreclosure listing service Um mm. The Roddy report is they have a lot of information. They have some tutorials on how to do that uh, as well. So that would be my suggestion to someone looking to get started into to Austin, but also know that you're entering into one of the most competitive, hottest real estate markets in the country. Um, and, and you know, and you know, depending on what you want to do, what is your time horizons?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, lowest inventory in the history of tracking inventory in one of the hottest markets in the country, Elon Musk keeps tweeting all sorts of weird stuff about Austin. So everybody says, oh, you know, he's moving his whole, his whole operations here. Who knows? Maybe he is. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's ways to get involved in real estate in Austin right now. You just need to be a little creative. So read, Jake, read Jake's book, learn how to get creative and learn how to adapt the current market. Um, Jake, speaking about books, what's your favorite business or mindset book other than your own that just got published, which is awesome. It has a really cool looking cover here. People can't see it, but uh, Catching Knives, awesome book, really enjoying it. But what's your favorite book?
1: You know, I read a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get through probably, you know, about 50 a year. Um, So from a real estate perspective, since this is a real estate investment, I'm going to tell you powerhouse principles by George Perez. Um, He started related companies down in in, uh, South Florida, Miami uh, area. Um, The first deal he ever did, he made a million dollars and he's never not made profit in his entire career, but he got into an affordable housing. That was the first thing that he got into. Um, it took him 10, 15 years to get and do his first deal. But when he did do it, he had levels of success. He's now a, a multi-billionaire. Oh. Um, He's part of related companies with George, uh, Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross did Hudson Yards and has a pretty big monster organization. Again, affordable housing uh, was their starting point. Um, but now they're building multi-multi-billion dollar mixed-use developments and created an entire new neighborhood in New York. George, uh, being he came over from Cuba um, his parents, I think he's, uh, Argentinian, uh, overall, but, uh, taking kind of that, that immigrants mindset. And mm-hmm. so how do you start and how do you go do that? Uh, he invests a lot in Latin and Central America. So, um, super, super exciting for people to get in powerhouse principles, I, I think is my favorite real estate book overall of that understanding. Um, I would say from a mindset um man, there's so many of them. What a book, and I'll give you, you know, uh one that was monumental to me was uh four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, yeah. Um, was you know, it's not about working four hours, it's actually how do you 10x yourself and thinking about that and a shift of that mindset of uh, just a new paradigm of of thinking. And so that was a, a pivotal moment in my life. I had actually just had the uh the meltdown of of losing everything and Tim Ferris's book came out um I used to go to the bookstore I don't know for some of the young folks there are there used to be bookstores where you'd walk there and they had lots of books and you go read them and I'd read them because I didn't even have money at the time I was I was kind of broke and I would read in the the coffee place and read his book every day. And then I put it back on the shelf and I walk home and then I walk back and I read it. And over that time, and it was that introspective time in which I I decided that, yes, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And it was very, very valuable uh, for mindset.
0: Yeah. Love the four hour work week. Really cool book. So Jake, where can people buy this book, catching knives? Um, what's the best way they can help you with this yeah
1: so catchknives.com um, is is the website that directs you to the amazon page part of the other thing is um, we wanted to give away some additional information some other mm-hmm. valuable insights for people that buy the book as well and and uh, you know listen to the podcast is um, the you know some back of envelope you know uh, analysis. How do you look at a deal well you know part of that is you got to look at a lot of deals before you find a good one so we put together you know a spreadsheet a template to kind of do a back of envelope analysis on commercial deals um a dream life cost template um those are some of the things uh some some book list and and, um you know there's a couple other items in there but go to catchknives.com as you sign up through that and buy the book what happens is then you can get some of those free bonus materials Um, and then we're going to be releasing a few other things that we're, we're actually, we've been working on. We're kind of in beta and in production on a a class. So a master class series that dives into detail. I can't get into the detail in that book, uh, into the book as far as nuances of how do you build a a model, pro forma model for a deal? You know, what are all those, you know, why are the due diligence checklist, you know, important in an acquisition and, you know, what are, good and bad and 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 indifferent. So I can actually walk people through those. And that's one of the, the next kind of levels of that. As well as we're going to be offering some free classes and some events and some other things like that later this month and, and kind of off of that whole baseline of that book. So I'm excited to share that out into the world and, and help throw down the rope to to other people, the, the young Jakes of the world.
0: There you go. How can people get a hold of you here, Jake? What's the best way to reach you?
1: Uh, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, Jake dot real estate, um, and uh, so then you my website Harris Bay dot um, com. That is you know kind of the main main company profile. We have some other kind of uh, associated companies, but uh, Instagram most active on there. Um, translating, you know, communicating, putting messages out there, doing a lot of stories, and I actually do a lot of feature like you know, showing me doing construction or doing construction. Well, I'm not doing a lot of the construction, but the people yeah. are doing the, the construction. I'm taking mm-hmm. photos and uploading them to Instagram.
0: Awesome. Last question here, Jake. Most important question we're going to ask you here today is what's your favorite restaurant here in Austin?
1: Whew, man. There's, there's about like 30 that open up. Well, okay. This is BC before COVID there was yep. like, uh, 30 that opened up every month. And it was like, man, man, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, Cause it, it really depends on what, um, I'm in the mood for, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to say Uchi though. Um, just from a, a sushi perspective, Uchi or Uchi Co. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to get into Uchi. Um, you know there's so many salty sow Sal is another you know one uh, there's just so many that are opening up you know that have been, been fantastic so um actually i was like i'm drawing a blank on the other one i just went to that was amazing but I'll, I'll go with uchi and that's my final answer
0: awesome yeah no that highly recommended everybody that gets a chance go check it out it is a little pricey but great sushi well awesome jake thank you so much for coming on here today again check out jake's book catching knives um and the quote i wanted to read from the book is "Buy when there's blood in the streets even when the blood is your own and that's from baron rothschild and i think you know jake talks about this in the book too and it's a great book you guys should definitely pick it up but thank you so much jake i really appreciate you coming on here
1: thank you appreciate it thanks jordan